Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast podcast. We want to extend an invitation to sit in live with us during our weekend service. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message inspires you, but also challenges you in your walk with God. For more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's Pastor Marco with an encouraging word. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's Mother's Day, so I decided to bring my baby mama up with me. Oh, boy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Great. So. Let's do this. We want to have a conversation around this heart for the Jesus, but the passion for church. Because there's a disconnect sometimes when people say they love Jesus, but they don't love church. It's like, wait, Jesus never disconnected himself from the church. So to say we love Jesus is to say we love the church. Because if you don't love the church, basically you're saying you don't love yourself. Because you are the church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's like shooting yourself in the foot. You know? It's like me saying I, I like you, but I'm not sure about the whole being a mama thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which is kind of weird. Which, by the way, I just want to say this. You are just amazing to me. I am so blessed to have you. As my girlfriend, my wife, the mother of my kids, you, in my book, you are the unsung hero of this whole thing. Because without you, none of this thing would happen. The sacrifices that you make. And I think sometimes it's unfortunate that, you know, they see me up here, but to me, it's everything that you do behind the scenes that gets me to be able to get up here and do this without any concerns or any worries. You know, I've always said this to you in private. I want to say it in public that um, my life would absolutely stink without you. <laughs> and that my kids are so privileged to have you as their mom. Thank you. you know? So because it's Mother's Day, before we get into the heart for the house, I thought I would ask you this question. Um, now that you've been a mom for 12 years of five kids, yep. what's, your, what's your favorite thing about being a mom right now in this season of life? Um, my favorite thing is that I don't have to buckle all of them. When we, uh, <laughs> there's five of them. That's like enough, that adds like 15 minutes onto the commute. When you have to buckle all of the kids. So I like that they can help. Um, I love seeing their personalities. Our oldest is 12. Um, so we, they range from 12 to 3. Our youngest is going to be 3 in a few weeks. So it's fun to see all of their personalities. And I really love joking around with them. It's, that's probably my favorite thing right now. Caden um, and I have a very similar sense of humor. So, you know, he just makes me, like, cry laugh. And so that's, that's really fun. I love joking around with them, and I like that they get our jokes now. You know, like when they're little, you can't really, they don't get sarcasm. I know you're not supposed to be sarcastic, but we're in New England, so I'm not going to pretend like I'm not sarcastic. Um, (laughs) So I love that. Except for Chase, though. Oh, my gosh. Chase doesn't get it at all. Not at all. (laughs) Chase is up third, and it's like, he takes everything literally. So you can't say anything, and he's like, wait, wait, what? Wait, what does that mean? I'm like, what? I think we're dramatizing this kid. Yes. He takes everything literally. Yesterday, I I uh, I was making bacon. I put bacon on like the griddle, and he goes. Um, I had to step away, and he was sitting at the counter. And I said, um, I said, Chase, 
you keep an eye on the bacon, make sure that it doesn't explode. Like, because, you know, and I'm just being funny because I, he just saw me put it on, so obviously nothing's going to happen. And he's sitting there and he goes, wait, what? And then I was like, oh, wait, forget it. Wrong, wrong crowd, wrong crowd, Chase. Sorry, just, just sit there, never mind. <laughs> he, he came up to me yesterday and said, Dad, I have a question. He said, uh, I would like to be able to start earning some money in the house. He's eight. So I said, I, I, I'll make you a deal, right? I said, if, if, you, if you go above and beyond what you, sh- you need to do, and if you have a great attitude, and if you behave well, then see me on Fridays, because Fridays usually when people get paid. Right? And he's like, what, why Fridays? It's like, that's when people get paid. You want to get paid? See me on Friday. Um, then I said this to him. I said, say, you know, we, we love basketball in the house, so I said, listen, I need a triple-double from you, okay? Hard work, attitude, and behavior. That's a triple-double, okay? And I said, if you don't provide a triple-double, I'm going to trade you for another kid. <laughs> That's when I lost him, like. Wait, but his back was... <laughs> Mark was saying this, and Chase is facing me. <laughs> so Chase is looking at me as Marco is talking to him, and his face is like... Like, I'm, I, don't under, I don't understand. And I said, Chase, don't worry about it. Forget it. Just don't listen to anything. It was hilarious. This has nothing to do with it. Let's no, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> so, Heart for the House, right? We're using uh, Nehemiah, which is one of the characters in the Bible, as kind of like the, the, the backdrop of what it means to have a heart for the house because it's deeper than just going to church, right? It's really having a heart to do the things that God calls us to do. And, and we said we're going to focus on the first four chapters of Nehemiah and then break down the rest, the weeks to come. But if you summarize the first four chapters of Nehemiah, it looks like this, right? Chapter one, right? Nehemiah prays for his city and for the people of the city, right? Even though he's away from his city. Nehemiah is far away, right? But he has such a heart that he begins to pray and ask God to bless his city, which is Jerusalem, and he begins to pray, God, give me a chance to go back and help rehabilitate our city because they had been away for 70 years, which tells you Nehemiah hasn't even been there yet, but he has a heart for it, right? Second thing is, chapter 2, it tells you that he begins to make plans and preparations. See, prayer leads to action, right? So he begins to have his plans and preparations. Okay, here's how we're going to go back, and here's what we're going to do to rebuild our city, to rebuild the temple, and to rebuild the economy. Like, Nehemiah talked about every single aspect of, of what it means to have a heart. It wasn't just going to church. It was like, okay, how do we repair the families? How do we repair the economy? How do we repair the temple? How do we get the people back on track, right? And then three is, see, Nehemiah believed that this was too big for one person. This was everybody, hands on deck. And he begins to Chapter 3 is one of those chapters where if you don't pay attention to it, you might think it's boring because it's just labeling all the families and what they did. But it shows you, like, it's all of us. This cannot be one or two people. Every single person has to do their part for this thing to work. And then in chapter 4, it shows you how sometimes when you're building something, there's a fight involved, right? Because you're going to have opposition. You're going to have people that may not be on on board with what you're doing. So Nehemiah shows them, okay, here's how we're going to do We're going we're gonna to build with one hand, we're going to fight with the other hand, which is a great illustration for all of us because life is a fight. And we have, he says, fight for your family, fight for your kids, fight for your church, fight for your city, 
Um, but you cannot, take a, you cannot take a step back because of opposition, and you cannot take a day off. Right? So this is kind of like in a nutshell what Nehemiah does in the first four chapters. And I just want us to kind of unpack this a little bit. But first question I think that I would like to ask is this is, What's your take on Nehemiah himself as a leader? Yeah, so the Bible gives us clues to his personality. If you guys have been reading along, um, and if you're slow enough, you can start to pick up on some of these things. One of the first things that it mentions about Nehemiah is that he was a cupbearer to the king. And so a cupbearer was very affluent. There were very few people that were cupbearers. They tasted... And they tasted the food and the drink before it was given to Nehemiah to make sure that it was safe for him. So he had to be very trusted. So he was, he was trustworthy. He was affluent. Um, he knew the word of God. When he, when he heard about Jerusalem, that Jerusalem was a mess, um, and he started praying to the Lord, he, he reminded God of what his promises were, what God's promises were to his people. And I loved that because... I think a lot of times we, we, you know, we might just pray and just say the words, but there's something that's so unique about praying what God has already given us, praying the word of God and reminding God of his promises to us, because then it, it, it draws a new, it draws a new connection. It draws a, it draws something new. It's like when you're in a conversation with someone and or with your kids, when they say, Hey mom, remember you said this, it means like they're paying attention. They're calling you out. They're saying, Hey, come back come do this. And it makes you, as a mom, when my kids say that, it reminds me and it holds me accountable. And I'm like, oh wait, and I'm human. So how much more so with a perfect God, when we remind him, hey, remember this promise that you gave me, it says this in your word. Um, so that, I think another thing is that he was a hard worker. Yeah. If you're a cupbearer, um, you had to be trustworthy, but you also had to do, you had work to do. For him to even get to the point to be a cupbearer, he needed to show that he was a hard worker. Um, and so I think also a lot of times we also can, you know, kind of say like, well, I pray and I go to church and I do all these things and that's awesome. And you need that. But if you don't do the work, if you don't, if you're not reliable at your workplace, if you're not reliable to your family, that's a problem. There, those, you can't, you can't disconnect those two things. And I think it's, it's cheap for us to disconnect them. So I love that about him. And my absolute favorite thing is that he saw the big picture. You see in the, you see in the story how um, when people had come up to him and said, oh, you can't do this, you can't do this, he was so quick to shut it down because the mission and the vision that God had given him was so cemented in his heart. He knew exactly what God had called him to do. So whenever anyone said anything to him that didn't align with that, he shut it down. He said, nope, stop, you don't go any yeah. further. And how what a great... What a great example for us in our lives to know what we're called to and be able to shut the nonsense out. Yeah, that's good. You know, the other thing, too, that we kind of can overlook about Nehemiah is the fact that, so he's a cupbearer, right, which means he's in the palace, right? right? He's got a great job, right? He is safe and secure because right. he's with the king, right. but he's, he willingly puts his life on the line yeah. for the sake of his city. Yep. That's amazing. Right? To have a selfless heart that way. Because right. he could have easily said, like, I'm, I'm good here. Right. You know, I'm safe here. I'm with the king. I'm the closest thing to the king. Yeah. Right? But he, the fact that he went to the king and, and asked the king to let him go back home was putting his life on the line. Because yeah. he has no business talking to the king. If you, if you know the, the context and the culture of that time, no one speaks to the king unless the, the king allows him to. And you don't dare go to the king with a sovereign face. Right? So Nehemiah was so passionate about his city and about God 
that he was willing to sacrifice his own safety and comfort for the sake of others. That's a leader. You know, someone who thinks bigger than just me, myself, and I. Right? And I believe that's the kind of people that God is calling us to be. Right? It's easy to look at our city and our, and our region and look at all everything that's wrong with them from a comfort place. But it's another thing for us to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get into this thing, into this mess, and, and become part of the solution in that. And, and, and Nehemiah, for me, is one of the great leaders in, in the Bible because he prays, but then he executes. You know, like he doesn't just pray. Some people just pray. And it's like, okay, you pray, great. You got goosebumps, great. But where, where's the execution? Where's the plan? You know what I mean? Like Nehemiah, to me, had prayer, he had a plan, and then he produced results because of his prayer, because of his plan. So to me, what an amazing picture what it means to have a heart for God's house, is that I pray, I plan, and I produce, and I'm not okay with just being comfortable where I am. I want others to experience the presence of God, you know? So that, to me, is one of the powerful things about Nehemiah. That's so good. You know? So... When we look at Nehemiah, and then we got to zero in and bring it closer to us. So for you personally, what does it mean to have a heart for the house? I think being available is the biggest, it's the biggest thing. You have to have a heart and a mind that's saying, I'm available. If you don't start, if you don't start there, everything else is kind, of, is kind of meaningless. You could come and say, oh, I can, you know, I can do this, I'm good at this, I'm a welder, I'm a plumber, I'm this, I'm that. But if your heart isn't a heart of availability, because you can come with your talents, that's one thing. But when you come available to say, God, I'm, I want to put my hands to the plow, I see what you're doing here, those are two different, those are two different things. Because we can hire anybody to come and, and plumb or, is that what you say, plumb? Is that a thing? That's not even a thing. You're asking the wrong guy. I you don't guys plumb. are all looking at me seriously like, yeah, plumb. I don't, not plumb. <laughs> I don't plumb, so I don't yeah. know. I don't. <laughs> Obviously, neither do I. Um, but you can come in with your talent, but when you come with your heart attached, saying, God, I'm available, that's, that, makes, that makes all the difference in the world. Um, and that it's not about you. Even the most influential people, we were just watching something on, um, I don't know, something on ESPN with LeBron James, one of his shows. We were watching that, and um, one of the men in the room, these are all influential people that don't go to church, um, that don't know the Lord. And he said, he said, as soon as you figure out that it's not about you, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. And I thought, man, people in the, ch- if people outside of the church know that are influential, that are making a difference, um, if they know it's not about you, how much more do we need to know it's not about you? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, I think that that is part of having a heart for the house is recognizing because if you come into the if you come into the church thinking hey this is all about me you know after you after you've been here for a little bit and 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 you've been saved and you know and you recognize that your life needs to change it's like as soon as you make that transition it's as soon as that it needs to not be about you yeah. because if you keep coming in here thinking well, the pastor is going to do this, and he has to give me a word. And and I ha- and you know they didn't have what I wanted in cafe and in kids ministry. They told me to go in this store, but it's supposed to be this store. This nonsense that we hear all the time. If you have that attitude, it's become about you, and you are no longer effective. Yeah. And what a scary thing to not to not be effective. Right. Um, but when you realize, hey, this isn't this is not about me. This is about my neighbor. This is about. 
the next person, this is about the next person that's going to come into church. This is about this child or that child. That is, that's huge. Um, and then the other thing um, that, that I think of when it comes to that is um, in chapter three, I love chapter three. I, actually, the first time I read it, I did skip because I was like, man, all these names, um, I can't pronounce them. Like, I, there's no relation here. Um, and then I, was, I, then I went back and I read it again. And when I read it again, one of the things that stood out to me is, I hope you guys read it. In just chapter 3, there's only like 30 verses in chapter 3. It says the word repair 35 times. So almost in every single verse, it says repair. What repair means in Hebrew, it means to strengthen and to encourage. So right then when I read that, I knew, wait, this is not just about physically building a wall. This is about building people. And it said it over and over and over again. And I thought that that was so powerful because... I do, I do think that sometimes we feel in church, you know, if I'm not on the stage or if I'm not doing this or if I'm not doing that, am I useful? You are the most useful. But. Because you can, you can connect with people in a way that Pastor Mark and I will never be able to connect to people. Because the reality is, is people see us up here and they think, oh, I, you know, they have it together. My gosh, if you were in my house, you would know we do not have it together. Um, Repair. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you, you need to strengthen one another. You need to encourage one another because that is what is going to build the house. Because if you build the person, you build the house. If you build your child, you are building them to be an influential person in their community. You can't skip, we can't just skip to, oh, my, you know, my kid is a scientist. He's going to be this. He's going to be that. If you don't start sowing that stuff into them, then they're not going to, they're not going to arrive. And if you don't sow it into them, someone else is going to sow something into them. Right? right? So it's so, that's so important. You know, um, what I love about, again, Nehemiah is he wasn't a, he wasn't a preacher. Right. He wasn't a worship leader. He was just a person that had a heart for his city and for his people. Yep. And then when you read chapter 3, these are all everyday people. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of times, again, we're, we're putting too much uh, into the position of the preacher or, you know, like the, yep. the preacher can only go so far as the people want to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So, so I love that about him. Like his heart was for his people, regardless of his position. Yep. So a lot of times we think leadership is in terms of position, but let's be honest. A lot of people have position, but they're not they're not leading anything, right? Like you work for people who have a position, but they're not leaders. You know what I mean? They they just have the title. So it's deeper than that. It's about what's in, that's what I'm saying. Like it's about a heart. Like when you have a heart for something, you're not waiting for a title. You're not waiting for a position. You're not waiting for someone to tell you. It's like you just want to do it. You know, and and Nehemiah reminds me a lot of our pastor, Pastor Steve. Yeah. Because man, that man is a worker, yeah. right? He never wanted to be a pastor. Right. Right? He just wanted to build a house, and God trusted him to be a pastor. But he always said this: He said, "If you take care of God's house, God will always take care of your house." Yes. You know, and I, that's what I that's that to me is the heart of Nehemiah. Yeah. He knew, like, listen, if we go back and we restore the temple, which is God's house. Our houses are going to be blessed. Yeah. Our kids are going to be blessed. And it Our says city that. is going to be blessed. Yes, and it says that in Nehemiah 3, there are five men that were mentioned, and it says that they built the wall right outside of their home. And again, I skimmed past that, and then I went back and read it again. 
just the, just the practical part of them building the wall outside of their home, it is going to naturally protect their home a little bit more, right? Because if the wall is built to keep, to keep riffraff out, to keep the attacks out, the wall is built, and my house is right behind, behind it, my house is naturally going to be more safe, right? right? Just like on the highway, the, the barriers, those barriers keep the thing behind it more safe, right? It is the same exact concept. Right. And it was so cool because it's mentioned five different times, and I, I believe that God is trying to tell us something Build the house of God. You building the house of God, you sowing into the house of God will naturally affect and protect your home. Right. And we're seeing it in our home. Right. We're seeing the effects of that in our home. I've seen in my home growing up, my parents always served in the house. They always did. I don't ever remember a time where they didn't serve the house of God. And because they were, because of that, it was natural for me to love church right. because they loved it. And it was obvious that they loved it. They didn't necessarily walk around saying, I love the church, I love the church, you know, every day. But in their actions, we always made sure that we were at church. When we got punished, we never got punished from youth group. Right. That was the last thing that they did. They were like, you better get to youth group. Can we add an extra youth group in this week? Because my kid needs it, you know? Right. Um, so it's, the, I feel like those things are so, are so important. And I love that it says that they built the wall right outside of their home because it naturally protects it naturally protects your home and we have to believe when the bible is saying this stuff it's not just in the natural it's in the spiritual so when you sow into the house of god it is protecting your physical home absolutely so so speaking of that how how do you how do we help our kids have a heart for the house you talk about it you know, I think that we talk about it all the time in our house. We love the church. We love, love, we love you guys. We love the church. And so we talk about it with our kids. We don't, we don't ever separate church from our house. There's no, there's no separation. We talk about it naturally. We talk about it normally. Our kids will come up with ideas. And we tell them, like, you, what are your ideas Especially my older ones. Um, well, even Carly. Carly's four, and sometimes she'll be like, I wish we had more Barbies <laughs> in kids' ministry. Good, that's a good point, you know? And almost making them think like, yeah, that's a good idea. I know I'm not going to buy Barbies for a kids' ministry, but yeah, Carly, I get what you're saying. You know, almost encouraging it. Pull it out of them a little bit more, even if it's nonsense. Just pull it out of them. Hey, what do you, you, know, what do you think about that? Um, but talking about it with passion and not negatively. And that's not just for a new life. That's for the churches down the street. My right. kids will never, ever, ever hear either of us talking down about the church, about any pastor, right. about any leader. That will never happen. Um, we, are so, we are so careful about that for a couple of reasons. One, because it honors God, and the Bible talks about that. It talks about never talking down about the church and never talking down about leaders. But then it also teaches them to honor authority. We do the same thing with their teachers. Our kids will come in and say, well, my teacher did this, and my teacher did that. Yeah, and what did you do? What? We don't side with... We we almost never side with our kids. (laughs) Not in a bad way. But we do it because I want... We want our kids to know that it's not just about you. You can be wrong. Right. And you are going to be wrong. And if we teach them at this young age to honor authority, 
That's yeah. so important Absolutely. because they, their brains aren't fully developed. Right now they think they know everything. They don't know anything. Right. And if their brains aren't fully developed and we're giving them this uh, power to have opinions about adults and have opinions about systems and why do we have to do this book report and why do we have to do that? And then we're like, like idiots encouraging them. Yeah, you're right. You shouldn't have to do that. Well, shame on you. Right. You shouldn't be doing that. Their brains aren't even fully developed. So you need to come alongside the teacher and say, you know what? Yeah. I don't know why you have to do it, but you have to do it. Right. And you're going to do it and we're going to do a good job. And that's, and right. that's it. And that's how we talk about the church with them. And, yeah. and, give, and bringing them around too. We always bring, we, we try to bring the kids around as much as we can. Right. Um, to, to events, we don't say like, oh, we're not going to, you know, we, we're not going to do this. We've got too much to do. You know, sometimes you have things to do and that's, and that's normal. But we always prioritize the house of God because we know that it's going to change their lives because it's changed our lives. Right. It's like, to me, it's like kids don't know what's good for them yet. Yeah. Right? right. But I find that amazing some parents won't make their kids come to church. But it's like, you make them go to school. Yeah, right. Right? You make them take piano classes, even if they don't want to. Right, right, right? right But right. when it comes to church, you're like, I don't know. It's like, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Like, where's your heart? Where's your passion? Right. You know what I mean? Like, to me, is this thing about heart is more caught than thought. Yes, Right? Absolutely. Like, kids are so smart. They know what we care about. Yep. They know the things that really matters to us. Right? And so, if church doesn't matter to us, it's not going to matter to them neither. You know, but if it matters to us, it's going to get on them, you know, eventually, right? So to me, it's crazy to think that some parents are putting that much stock into their kids making the right decisions about church, (laughs) about the things of God. To me, it's like, wait a minute, you don't do that with school. You don't say, hey, you you feel like going to school today? Right. Oh, you don't want to go to school? You want to be a bum? Because it makes... (laughs) (laughs) You know? Because it makes, it makes church optional. If we ask our kids, do you want to go to school? They're always going to say no. Right. My kids, every, mo- every Monday morning, it is the fight of my life to get them out of bed. We have to go to, ch- we have to, go to school. Right. We have to go to school. It is a fight. Why do we fight for that stuff, but we don't fight for the church? Right. Why? I don't know. I don't get it. It's like you make it, you make it optional. Even, even this morning, I told the kids, like, we have to be there early because I have to get my makeup done for church because I'm going to be on the stage. And so they were like, well, what time do you have to be there? So we have to leave, excuse me, I said, we have to leave by 8.30. And they said, oh, are we going to stay till like around 2, 2.30? And I said, yeah. And they were like, oh, it's like a school day. And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> they were like, all right, cool. And they just, they just went with it because I don't, I don't ever want, I, I, I'm trying to find the right way to say this without sounding bad. I, I will always protect my kids. I will always physically protect them. But there are some things that I, I will not, I will not protect them from when it comes to, when it comes to the church. Here's what I mean. I'm not going to say, um, you know, for Caleb, for example, he's three, he's absolutely crazy. He's the best, but he's crazy. He has so much energy. I always tell them, I always tell them that, um, he loves, he's excited about life. That's what I say. Instead of saying he's crazy, I say, oh, Caleb, you're so excited about life. Um, by noon, he needs a nap badly, very, very badly. He needs a nap, but I won't tailor my entire life 
to fit you, you little three-year-old. Right. I'm not going to do it. Now, I'm not saying, I don't want to sound messed up. Like, when my kids are sick, I'm not here because I need to be home with my kids. And I understand that. And I'm not going to, that's what I say when I'm saying I'm going to protect my kids. But there are certain things that I won't do. I'm not going to bend everything to fit what your little need is. It's one Sunday. It's, it's just one time a week. He can skip that nap one, one time a week because I believe that him even missing that nap versus what he's getting in the house of God, what he's getting caught is so much more, it's so much more important than anything else. Not just that, like think about like, what are we teaching our kids if we start taking a back seat to them? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've heard like, people say like, I have a kid now, I can't serve anymore. But it's like, what you told that kid is, hey, when you have kids, don't serve neither. Right. You know what I mean? Don't right. make sacrifices. Don't go all out. Right. Don't, don't try anymore. And then when, we get, when the kids get older, you resent them. Yeah. Because you let them dictate what you're right. going to do and not right. do. Right. You know what I mean? And to me, what a, now we're turning into parenting completely here. <laughs> but, I, but to me, that's like, that's crazy. We had made up our minds even before we were pastors that when we have kids, we were going to put them in the back of the trunk and keep going and keep yeah. doing what yeah. God we're has called us to do because right. that's the best thing we can teach them. Right. you got to catch this passion. you got to right. catch this vision. you got to catch this heart right. as opposed to me trying to cater to you. And then what's going to happen when life doesn't go his way? He's right. going to think people owe me. Yeah. And that's the entitlement mindset right. that we've developed in a right. culture where we're, we're letting the kids dictate life. Yeah. You know, it makes absolutely no sense. Right. And, and, but but it, it all goes back to the fact that if church doesn't start at home, then we're never going to have church. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We'll be religious, but we won't be the people of God right. who, are at, who can say with confidence, like Joshua, as for me and my house, yeah. we're going to serve the Lord. Right. You know? But it starts at home. It's right. not just a verse. It's how you live every Absolutely. single day of your life. It's so How you good. go about your business every That's day. That's so good. I, um, when you said that church starts at home, it makes me obviously think, about, obviously think about my home growing up. And I remember my dad used to work for a shift, and I think he had to be there for six. I don't know. Where is he? Something like that. But he, likes to, he has a plan. He, he preps. And so I remember waking up every morning, and he'd be up at 5 o'clock, and his Bible would be open on the table. He wasn't there anymore. He left for work. But I saw that every single morning. And I remember that. I, it's, it's one of those things that's ingrained in me. And same thing with my mom. Like, whenever anyone needed anything, she was there making a meal. She, had, she was always available. Yeah. And I, also, my dad used to, he still sings, but when he was singing in a group, me and my sisters, we would say, can we go to practice with you? We practice at, like, like on a Tuesday night. But we just wanted to be at church. And I can almost guarantee you that your kids just want to be in church. When they get, to, when they get here... They love it. The more you bring them, the more they love it. The more you talk the church up, the more they want to be here. The yeah. more you encourage those friendships, the more they want to be here. My parents, they always encourage that. We would do family, we'd go camping together with families from church. And now Erica and I are the best of friends. We grew up together. We did everything together. And we got, went to college together. She, was, she played a role in my wedding. I was in her wedding. These are friendships that were built in the church. My life outside, I would not have a life outside of the church. And my life has lacked nothing. Yeah. I grew up in the church. I never, I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. And I'm not saying this because, oh, I'm awesome. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that your kids are not going to lack anything for right. being in the house of God. They'll lack nothing. And I got to get in trouble a little bit here. Um, 
Our kids are not going to go pro. That's a fact. So, like, I'm not going to have my kids miss church over soccer or basketball or anything. You know. And I love sports. But I'm not, I'm not going to put my kid's soul on the line for sports. You know what I mean? Like, but that goes back to passion. I love sports, but I am more passionate about Jesus and the church than I am about anything else. So there's no way I'm going to do that. And I, and I tell them, they know, like, we tell them, like, pick a sport, but you know that if it conflicts with church, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's a decision we made a long time ago, yep. and they already know that. Yep. And, so, and so if there's a sport or a church thing, we're going to church. Yep. That's already automatic. Yeah. Later on in life, when they're old enough to make their own decisions, I hope that they can see the power of yeah. church over sports. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, most of us are going to end up being Uncle Rico's, not <laughs> Steph Curry's. You know what I mean? So, so I'd rather be a Steph Curry in God's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Yep. That's good. So, moving on from <laughs> parenting, we get all fired up about that. Um, but how can, what do you think for couples, how can couples have a heart for the house? Because sometimes that's tricky. Some of, I know some of you guys, you're here and your spouse is not. But how can, you have, how can you have a heart for the house as couples? First of all, I would say this. I, I, I sound like a broken record, but if you're single, you've got to set yourself up the right way. Okay? If you're single, the first thing you need to do is, is, is have this conviction in your heart. I'm not going to date anyone who doesn't have a heart for Jesus first. Because that's going to happen sooner or later. That's already starting from a bad standpoint. You know, because if you don't, listen, they'll say all the right things, but then you get married, they're not obligated to come to church, right? So marriage is a step of faith, but hopefully you've done your homework. You know, it's not blind faith, right? So that to me is the first thing. Now, once you're married, you know, hopefully you worked out those things before you got married that, hey, we love Jesus together. We're going to serve Jesus together. We're going to love God together. And then now it's a matter of putting the right principles in place every single day, which to me, it's basically recognizing that this is a battle, okay? This is, it's not always going to be sweet romance all the time, but it's a battle. We're in a fight. That's why Jeremiah, I mean, Nehemiah says fight for your families, right? So I got to fight for my family. And the way, the best way for me to fight for my family is to put God first, right? And it's to pray for my family, right? It's to pray for my marriage, to pray for my kids, you know, I do, I'm doing marriage classes right now where some people get, get ready to get married. I tell them the most important thing in a marriage is your relationship with Jesus. Because if that's established, guess what? You both are going to be praying for each other. You're both going to be pulling for each other. You're both going to be rooting for each other. It's not a competition. It's a team effort. And a lot of marriages don't work because we compete with each other as opposed to actually come alongside each other and say, we're on the same team and we're going to fight together for the things that God has for us, right? So prayer is massive in getting a heart. Because a lot of times, instead of trying to change someone, pray for them, right? Pray and let God be the enforcer in your marriage, right? But then decide that, hey, we're going to serve God together. We made up our mind. And, and here's a question that if you're serious, you got to ask from time to time. Ask your significant other, how can I help you? Because a lot of times we just want to be helped. What can you do for me? But I'm telling you, that will change your marriage and it will change your perspective if you can come alongside and say, hey, how can I help you? Like this morning, I knew you had to come early. So I had, I had well, it's not like we need an alarm because we get up early no matter what. The kids, once you have five kids, you don't need an alarm. 
there your alarm. But I got up and I said, how can I help you so you can get here on time? Right? But that has to be a continuous group effort, like team effort. Hey, we're on the same team. How can we help each other? How can we pray for each other? And how can we create the best home where there's always peace in the midst of chaos because we're putting Jesus at the center of our home? Yeah, and it's not, like it's, it's not like it's easy. It sounds nice when we're saying it right now, but it's not like that's, that's not an easy thing to say, how can I help you? Because we want to be helped. We want it to be about us. We're selfish by nature. And so when... When that question is asked, when I ask that question or when he asks that question, it's fighting against your flesh. It's not like I woke up and I said, I feel like helping my husband today. No, I made a decision. That's a true story. It is true. I'm not going to lie. It's a... Top of the morning to you. (laughs) I know. We like barely say good morning. We just wake up and it's like, all right, what do we got to get to? What are we going to do today? Um, but it, it's a fight against your, it's a fight against your flesh. So sometimes you ask the, you're going to ask the question, how can I help you? And everything in you is like, (laughs) why'd I ask this? Um, like when I say to him, um, do you want me to iron anything for you? I'm actually hoping he says no. And when he says yes, I'm heated because I'm like, iron your own stuff. (laughs) And then I had to, you know, then you have to bring it back in and remember, no, I'm a woman of God. I'm going to iron his shirt. Um, but it's a, it's a fight. But I, I have to say, when you fight, when you fight against your flesh, it's so, un, it's so uncomfortable at first. But if you keep fighting it, you start to build up those muscles. And then it's not as hard for me to ask, how can I help you? And sometimes you're the one that has to start. You have to start get the ball rolling first yeah. and be the one that keeps asking the question and, 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 and pray like, God... Help us to both see what it is that you're doing. Help us to both come yeah. together because it's not, it, it's not, it's not easy. And I don't, I don't want to make it sound like this is like an easy question to ask, but it's a necessary yeah. question because if you want to grow um, and if you want your children to grow and if you want your life to be um, influential and to be fruitful, I don't want to say influential, I want to say fruitful. If you want your life to produce something, yeah. you have to get uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, and... and I just want to add one more thing to that is we, we, our society has made feelings such a God. You know, like we think we have to have all the right feels to do things. And what a lie, right? It's about doing the right thing and let your feelings catch up to doing the right thing. Like no marriage is going to last if you're waiting to feel like asking those questions and feel like loving. Even love, love is a decision. It's not a feeling, right? And so coming to church, honestly, I don't always feel like preaching. I have to preach. I'm called to preach. And when I do that, the feelings come. This morning was a battle for me to get here. You know, I was in my prayer spot. Dang God, you better put this in me because I got nothing. I'm tired right now. I don't feel like going. I don't feel like going doing this, right? Honestly. And, and that's a hot mistake. I don't feel like going to church. Well, do you feel like being a failure? Do you feel like not getting blessings of God? Do you feel like you want your marriage to fail? Do you feel like you want your kids to be a bum? No, we don't. So let's not rely on our feelings. You know, that's why I wanted to tell Chase. It's like when Friday comes, it's not your feelings that got you here to get paid. Hello. 
It's not your feelings that got you to the paycheck. It's your work ethic, right? So we need to get past these, this nonsense in our, you know, good vibes only. It's not, that's nonsense. It's not always good vibes when you have five kids in a house. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's making up our minds. We love our family. We love each other. And we're going to act on this love on purpose, not on feeling. Okay? Because my feelings would just say, go do something else. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing with church. Like, we don't serve because we, f- I feel like putting up speakers today. You know, I feel like showing up early. No, it's, no, I made a decision. I serve God and my feelings will come with me. Last question today. Um, so Nehemiah talks about, you know, his heart in a family, in, in, in every part of life, which we'll get into the next few weeks. But how can all of us overall have this, this heart for God's house? You have to get around people that also have a heart for the house. So if you don't have, if you know that you're struggling and you know, like, I, it sounds good, I want to be passionate, I want to have a heart for the house, but I don't really have a heart for the house, it's okay. It really is. I don't want you to feel like you're being ostracized because you don't have a heart for the house. But you need to get around people that do have a heart for the house. And it is obvious. You know the people that have a heart for the house. You catch anyone that's serving, likely they have a heart for the house. Join a crew. That's really important. When my dad loves my dad loves basketball, Marco loves basketball, so does Caden. And so at first, I didn't really care about it, you know, because my dad's going to love me no matter what. So it's like, I don't have to watch basketball with him. But when I got married and my husband loves basketball so much, I was like, oof, I feel like in order to hold a conversation, I might need to sit here and understand what's going on. <laughs> Because um, I didn't want to sound stupid which, when we talked about basketball. Which, by the way, just this week, she finally understood what a pick and roll is. Finally. <laughs> Thank you. We're watching. Thank you. We're watching the best team play, the Warriors, of course. Um, the Warriors. Y'all better don't. You, you have nothing to say, Celtics fans. <laughs> you have nothing to say. Okay. She goes, wait, so when Curry went and, and did the pick and that's it? I said, yes. She goes, oh, my gosh, yes. Pick and roll. Yes. Like the most basic thing in basketball yeah. I just got. But anyway, um, so when we got married and, you know, I was like, I have to start, I have to start understanding this because I want, I want to understand because he loves it and so I want to understand. And then when Caden comes along and Caden loves basketball, and I'm going to his games, and I'm getting excited, and I'm like, oh, I have to, I got to know what's going on. So when you get around people that love it, it gets on you. I don't stay up past 9 o'clock, but I was up watching this game on Friday with, with Marco and with Keaton because I've been around it. It starts rubbing off on me. I didn't... I wasn't born in love with the sport of basketball, but I got around people that love it, and now I'm getting excited. And even yesterday, I could really talk to my dad about it. I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) We had a real good conversation about it, you know? But get around people that love the house, that love the heart of God, and it will rub off on you if you're willing to. I could hang out with Mark and be like, no, I don't like basketball. I don't like basketball. I don't like basketball. If I keep saying I don't like it, nothing's going to happen. But if I come into it available, like we talked about, that's a whole different, that's a whole different story. So joining yes. a crew is important and seeing the big picture. 
You have to be able to pull yourself back a little bit and see the big picture and see what God's doing. If you pull back and you see what God is doing and you look at just the journey of just this church, not all the other churches that are doing amazing, not, not just the Bible, just look at this church and you look back from five years ago to where we are now and you see the big picture, it's like, whoa, right. I'm a part of something way bigger than myself. Yeah. And you have to slow down and do that. And when you slow down enough to do that, it does expand, it expands things a little bit more. You get the heart of the house a little bit more. So, um, and then the other thing is you need to read your Bible. It says it in Nehemiah that at one point when they, when there was a threat to them, Nehemiah told them, you build, build with one hand and have a sword in the other hand. And later on in the New Testament, what is the sword? The sword is the Bible. When God says to put on the to put on the armor of God, and he says the sword of the spirit, that's the Bible. So that's what it's saying. It's saying you fight, you build, and you need to know the word of God. So do we want to clap? Okay. I'll end with Nehemiah chapter 4, a quick summary. Nehemiah, go home and read it or reread it. I'll read Nehemiah from time to time. Amazing leader. But chapter 4, to me, shows you the heart for the overall. Like, this is, what, this is what needs to happen from all of us who say we are part of the church. Okay? It's one thing to go to church. It's another thing to be the church. Right? But Nehemiah says this, a few things. Verse 6, he says, work with enthusiasm. Right? Like, you're working for the Lord. Okay? And that, to me, is powerful. That we're not doing this to show off. We're not doing this to... To, to, for people to look at us. We're doing it for the Lord. We're working with enthusiasm. And that's what I love about this church. This church has an amazing passion. And people show up early to do this thing. And I'm always blessed by that. And so to me, that's kind of rubbing off with other people who already has that passion and that drive. Because sometimes we don't feel like it. But we do it either way. Right? And then in verse 9, he says, they prayed and guarded the city. I love that. Because prayer is also protection. Right? And, and so... And so we need people who get up every day and ask God to guard the city. Because when God's guarding the city, he's guarding our homes. Our children are being guarded. You know what I mean? Our finances are being guarded. Everything is being put under God's will. So prayer and Bible reading goes hand in hand, right? And I love verse 14. It's my favorite verse in probably the entire book of Nehemiah. Verse 14, I want to read this to you as we end. But look, Nehemiah said this, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's a fight, right? It's not a physical fight, but it's a spiritual fight every day to stay, to stay rooted and grounded in God's will. So to me, this, it's about building and fighting. Building and fighting. They go hand in hand. That's why he's like, listen, build with one hand, fight with the other hand. You know, and moms, you guys do that better than anybody else. You know how to multitask more than anyone else, right? But all of us need to be building and fighting. Like, fight for the integrity of your church. Sometimes, verse 4, they had opposition. But you know what they did? They glued together and said, we're not going to let anyone outside of our camp come and dictate what's going to happen. Sometimes people are going to say things about our church. I hope you can stand up to it and say, no, no, that, listen. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're not going to let anybody come in with your negativity, your toxic stuff, your gossip. We're going to leave all that. That's, that's fighting people. That's keeping the enemy at bay when you don't agree with people who have a different mindset of what church should be. 
You know what I'm saying? That's why we never talk bad about any church because we believe capital C church, it all belongs to Jesus. So we're never going to side with anyone. You know? And then look how he ends this, 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 this chapter. So powerful, right? Verse 19 and 20. He said, listen, because we have enemies, they had physical enemies. He said this to them. He said, look, the work is very spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. We're talking miles of wall, okay? He said, listen, we're, we're separated. But, so here's what we got to do so we can stay together and fight together. Look, he said, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to whatever is sounding, then our God will fight for us. Nehemiah was like, listen, we got to be on alert for each other here. So when you hear an alert, which to me is like when you hear a prayer request, when you hear someone is struggling, when you hear someone is, is hurting, listen, rush to that prayer, rush to that need, and, and help, and be a blessing, you know, because that's how we're going to make it together, you know. And, and last verse, verse 23, it's the last verse of the chapter, he says, during this time, none of us, not I, not my relatives, not my servants, not the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us all times, even when we went for water. I love that. He's saying like, hey, no days off. Keep your guard up, stay focused, stay committed. Even on your day off, you can stay on your guard. So the enemy will never be able to pick you off and, 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 and lead you astray. That's the kind of church we need to be, people. All of us together saying, God, no days off. I'm all in. I want your will. I want your purpose. Have your way. Come on, let's stay together as we pray. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at newlifesouthcoast.com for any further information.